Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again to break down everything that happened on SmackDown and Raw this week as the road to WWE SummerSlam, one of the company's most important shows of the year, is drawing a little closer. Still a few weeks to go, plenty of developments to discuss from SmackDown and Raw over the last week. Joining me for those, of course, is none other than vintage Chris Vanini, the co-host here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We're going to get to him in a moment, though, because off the top of this show, the number 25 wrestling podcast in these United States, the Silver King needs to remind you what Getting Over is all about. It is all about those five-star ratings. It's all about those reviews on Apple Podcasts so that you let people know how much you love the show and they go ahead and listen to us. Yes, I said it last week. We finally cracked the top 25. Next up for getting over is the top 20. And the way we get there is not only by you guys listening to the show, telling your friends and family and doctors and coworkers and whoever else through word of mouth, but also dropping those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. So we move up their rankings and more people know to listen to Getting Over. And if that was not enough, there's a little bit more business to take care of because the Silver King needs to remind you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And speaking of growing and moving up in the world, we are almost at 1,000 followers on Twitter. Not the biggest number in the world, but for an account that just started about a year ago and is only really talking about wrestling in this show, We are almost there, and that is a good sign for the future of this podcast. So thank you all for your support to this point, and I hope that you support us going forward. So with that, Chris, it is time to bring you in. Man, I'm just pretty thrilled, honestly, to see the development of the show. The Big E interview last week got picked up by a number of different outlets, which I really appreciate. Of course, hey, if you're going to you know, quote the interview and stuff. You could link back to the show. That would be appreciated. But all right, that's another thing for another day. Uh, Hey, we're on the move, man. We're moving on up to the, I don't know, not the east side. I'm already on the east side. So I don't know. We're moving on up. That's the point. Yeah, I I mean, you texted me that, that we made the top 25 and I was fired up because we are college football guys. And we are college football making the top 25. It's a pretty big deal. So big thanks to all the listeners who have, uh, tuned in and shared the show. And it was obviously a huge week with Money in the Bank and me being there and, and the Kofi interview and the Big E interview after that. And uh, got a lot of things cooking here at Getting Over. And we appreciate you guys for for listening. What would you say the college football team equivalent of this podcast is? Hmm, something that finally reached the top 25? But like deserves to be in there and should consistently be in there. Like like in Indiana? Well, I, I'm, I'm trying to think who, who recently made the top 25. I mean, I mean, like Louisiana made the top 20. Louisiana Lafayette made the top 25. Yeah, but they're week, never going to win the national title. Years. We will win no. the national title. We, we'll, so. we'll get there. We're, we're a program on the rise. Maybe like in Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. That's building, a great building. Became a perennial yeah. top 20. We're there. We need that Boone Pickens money. though. Oklahoma State. You know what? That is a great example. Right now, a younger brother to some shows of which we were offshoots from a little bit from the uh, – the cheap heat larger universe that has kind of, you know, sprinkled itself over the wrestling podcast universe over the last uh, number of years. And we are, you know, kind of the the smaller child right now, right? Like you have Oklahoma state to Oklahoma. They're about to get left behind uh, in the big 12. Hopefully we don't get left behind in these top 25. We keep working our way 
up. But Chris, look, there's a lot of WWE to talk this week. There really is. And before we get into the main event, we always kind of give an overview of what we thought about the shows this week. I, I don't think there has been a week with a greater disparity in quality between SmackDown and Raw. And that's despite us going on for months on end about SmackDown being good, Raw not being good. But SmackDown this week was top to bottom, a very good show. You can say what you will about the Rolling Loud stuff. We'll talk about that later. There is not a single segment from SmackDown that I graded other than good in our Good, Bad, and Ugly segment later. A little bit of a spoiler alert for you. Raw was the complete opposite. It was hard to find positives on the show. The third hour had a couple of bright spots, but the first two hours of Raw were terrible. And the Kansas City crowd, we might as well have been in Lafayette, speaking of Louisiana, they were absolutely horrendous. They cheered on occasion, but there was no energy or atmosphere to the entire show. It was night and day television from Friday to Monday. This Raw was so atrocious on Monday that I actively reconsidered why I watch it every week midway through the show. Remember when we got teased like last month with two good episodes of Raw in a row and we thought, hey man, crowds are coming back, the tide is turning, maybe WWE's figured it out? No, that was an anomaly, not an expectation going forward. This show on Monday had basically no redeeming qualities outside of Riddle and Lashley. Yeah, I mean, there was a long stretch in the Thunderdome era in 2021 where Raw was becoming almost unwatchable. and SmackDown was, I thought, the best show in wrestling, better than Dynamite. And that's what we got this weekend. SmackDown was great. SmackDown has a star power. SmackDown knows how to make everything feel bigger. And Raw just is just a complete mess time after time. There have been a couple episodes that have been pretty good, but just... It always feels like they don't know what they want to do or they don't know what people want. And it's it remains bizarre that these two shows are made by the same company. It is. I mean, there are certain things occasionally that you, you know, can pick and say, hey, this is happening on SmackDown. And a similar thing, usually negative, is happening on Raw. There's going to be something I talk about frequently throughout the show, which is WWE rushing storylines unnecessarily. And it's going to be a theme on this episode. And that had a little bit of a tangential relationship between SmackDown and Raw. But dude, this Raw on Monday was horrendous. And there's really, I mean, I can give you different words, atrocious, terrible, horrible. Like I can go through my thesaurus here and use different words to describe Raw. But in the end, it's bad. It's bad wrestling television. Of the four major shows that we get each week, it is the worst consistently every single week. And that's despite there being plenty of talented individuals on the show. So that to me is a huge disappointment. We're going to break it down. And, you know, I try to start us off on a positive note. So when we slide into the main event momentarily, we're going to go with a double dose of SmackDown before we get into Raw. But, you know, stick with us through the show. Stick with us through the main event, good, bad, and ugly. Um, We got a lot to talk about today. And I'm concerned about WWE going forward, given some things that have happened recently in the wrestling landscape. And I'll give you a chance to talk about some of the things I discussed on uh, our Thursday show when it comes to Daniel Bryan and CM Punk. So with all of that, Chris, out of the way, let's do what we do here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast and begin the WWE episode by sliding into the main event. 
So as I said, let us start with SmackDown. John Cena opened the show with this typical joke serious type of stuff. He mentioned escaping the Firefly Funhouse, which was a smart reference. And he said he's the only guy left to check Roman Reigns' ego at SummerSlam. Cena played into the Cleveland baseball news, saying he changed his middle name to Guardians to help WWE keep the shred of respect it has left. I thought it was so weird that he worded it that way, but he did. Uh, Cena said SmackDown with Reigns as champion sucks. And he said that Reigns only has a couple real fans. And at SummerSlam, he's going to take a stand, him and the fans, against Roman Reigns. I thought Cena did a fantastic job revving up the crowd. And then Paul Heyman comes out. He says Reigns will address him later. And then he mocks Cena's catchphrases and entrance, which was downright fucking hysterical. It was a great opening segment. And I'm just realizing now that we're taping this podcast, I forgot to tape uh, the Paul Heyman audio that I was going to add on the show. But you, it was him doing the horn, like on the microphone, live right in front of John Cena's face. I loved it. Yeah, no, it, it it was a good reminder that John Cena is still the guy when you look at what you do in a crowd. Like you start off the show with him and he revs up the crowd and it works. He's really, really good at that. And I think you've seen ticket sales have jumped uh, in in since he came back last week. All the cities have all made a jump. He's still a very much a draw. And when you see him get in the ring and start a crowd, start off a crowd like that, he's still one of the best ever to do it. Indeed. So Reigns then later in the show demanded Cleveland acknowledge him. And then he broke the fourth wall, telling the fans at home, looking directly in the camera that we need to acknowledge him too. I thought that was pretty cool. He said seen as a nostalgia act that isn't fresh and compared him to missionary position in what was easily the best line of Roman Reigns entire career. And that one, folks, I did not forget to cut. It's the same thing over it's like missionary position every single night. In the tribal chief, the head of the table, we're not interested in that. No, no. And that is a sound that will be used on this podcast until the end of time. Now, the crowd was doing what chants early in the promo until he dropped that line. And those what chants, they're so incredibly annoying because Reigns was in the middle of cutting a hell of a promo. Him dropping that line shut them up because they realized, hey, wait, this is a good promo. We need to listen to the words he's saying. By the way, if you're going to a future show, stop this dumb shit. Stop doing what chance? If people next to you are doing it, shut them up. Um, so Reigns' promo was great. The fans with the what? Stupid. Do you have anything to add before we move on? Yeah, well, first with the what chance, I, I always enjoy watching a performer who knows how to stop it. Reigns and, and Charlotte, that by, basically, yes. Yes, and, MV, and MVP did it last MVP week. MVP too, yeah. Where you change your cadence and you like start the next sentence right when you finish the sentence and then you pause and it gets them off their game. It's really, it's just, there's a skill to it. It's ridiculous that it has to happen. Stop doing it. It's absurd. But this Roman promo, I, I said this last week, the first SmackDown with fans, he didn't cut a promo in front of the crowd. And I was really surprised at that. And so this was his first crowd promo as a heel. Crushed and it. he had spunk. He looked like he was having fun out there. He looked like he was enjoying taunting the crowd and doing all these things and things that he has not been able to do for a year in this role as the heel. 
this was really, really good stuff from him. He seemed to just be enjoying himself out there. And I, I'm looking forward uh, to, to more of this to come. Yeah, it, it may have been, for all intents and purposes, the best promo of his career, just because that line was so good and because he really got the crowd riled up. It was a good moment. I mean, Reigns has cut good promos before, even as a babyface. But just think about the fact that, like, two years ago, this guy was doing Suffer and Succotash promos. And now he's talking about missionary position. Like, <laughs> night and day. This is this is what we've always wanted from Roman. And by the way, that line would have worked if he was a babyface also. That's not a heel line. Him saying, yo, you're doing the same shit all the time. Uh, you know, it's like freaking uh, Eminem in 8 Mile. You're saying the same shit that he said. Like, you're just repeating yourself over and over again. And dropping that line was fantastic. And again, it would have worked either way. But it's great that Roman Reigns is a heel. So let's break down the rest of this. Uh, Reigns denied Cena's challenge for SummerSlam. And then Finn Balor surprisingly entered. Reigns expected acknowledgement. Balor said, if Reigns doesn't want Cena, what about him? Reigns laughed at that, you know, insinuation or that, that offer. The crowd chanted yes. Heyman whispered to Reigns. And then they chanted, Roman scared. And this is what a crowd is supposed to do. Not the what chance, the Roman scare type of chance, that type of yes. stuff. Do th- Know your role and otherwise shut your mouth. This is your role. Good for them on that. Reigns then accepted the cha- challenge of Balor, which seems to be a non-title match on television, considering Michael Cole didn't say it was a SummerSlam match and didn't even say it was a Universal Championship match. So that's my expectation. Either next week or the week after, he's going to be fighting Finn Balor. So I'm a little bit mixed on this. Let me start with Balor. This is another example, as I said, this is going to be a theme on this show, of WWE seeming to rush a singles match unnecessarily. Balor should be getting built up as a challenger, at least because we presume Reigns is going to retain the title, at least until SummerSlam at this point. It would be strange for him to lose it. Instead of building Balor up, he he got one win on SmackDown Friday. We'll talk about that later in Good, Bad, and Ugly. Presumably, Reigns is going to beat him clean on TV. And then where does he go? Right to the mid-card. It's the same as what WWE did, giving AJ Styles to Drew McIntyre right after he won the WWE title over a year ago, as opposed to scheduling that for a big show a couple months down the line and building up to it. I'll never understand why WWE rushes stuff like this or gives a fresh challenger, main event challenger, a loss immediately, which is what I'm expecting is going to happen here between Balor and Reigns. As for Cena, WWE promised him confronting Reigns, and they teased it again to open the show. Not only did we not get it, Cena didn't even come out a second time on TV. Even in kayfabe, what was the reason that Cena didn't walk out? Did he go home? Was he not waiting in gorilla position? I know we have a month left and WWE needs to stretch this storyline. So I get it. But that felt to me like an unnecessary bait and switch. Reigns could have told Cena no to his face and then Balor could have come out and all three of them are together in the ring and Cena's giving Balor a little bit of rub. So Cena's promo was good early in the show. Reigns' promo was great. Balor's promo was really good too because he wasn't doing the smiling gimmick. He was as the prince, which we saw in NXT. And the moment between Reigns and Balor was great as well because the fans were buying into Balor. But despite all of those individually being good, it felt to me like something was missing. 
So with Cena, what well, well, this also goes back to two episodes of SmackDown. They have changed the structure of the show because part of it's a big reason is because Cena's come back. But for a year, SmackDown has been they tell a story with Roman throughout the show. We start with Roman, we have the Usos, and things kind of develop throughout, and we get sometimes a resolution at the end, which is great. That's how wrestling should always be. But now that we have fans, now that Cena's here, we're going back to guy makes an appearance at the beginning of the show and doesn't show up the rest of the night. A guy doesn't show up until the very end of the show, and, and that's the only time we see him. And it's it, it's... You're not telling a story as the show goes on. And I'm concerned that this is they're going to fall back into this the way it used to always be. Uh, so, yes, it made no sense that Cena didn't come back out. It, it, it was strange not to really see Roman uh, up until the end there. But I did like the Finn stuff. And I think part of that is there is a crowd and they, they they're trying to make something big happen. Pretty much every show we we had some debuts on the first SmackDown back. We had Cena come back at Money in the Bank. We have a women's title change on the first Raw. We have Finn Balor make an appearance here and they leave us with something. And they're going to give us Finn Roman presumably next week. It feels like they're coming out of the gate with fans trying to give you a bunch of big stuff right out of the gate. And I think that's a good idea, to be honest. I, I, I understand your point about building up Finn towards something, but I also get hey, we've got fans, let's try to give them a lot of great stuff at at the beginning to keep some momentum as we get off onto this tour. I would be on the same page as you regarding that if John Cena wasn't involved. You already have something big. You already have Roman Reigns and Cena. What else do you really need? Why can't the Usos attack Cena? Why can't uh, Reigns tell him no to his face so that you pay off the confrontation, but then bring Balor out, get him some rub, and then maybe do a tag team match, Balor and Cena against Reigns, and Jey Uso or something, since he's the right-hand and man. We, we could still get, we might still we get may. that. We've got a number of weeks. All, all I'm saying is just like, my concern with the entire thing, and I think it's a, fa- a, fa- a concern founded in reality, because look, we've been watching WWE for decades and been talking about it on this podcast for two years. Is Balor coming back, getting a win over Zayn? Again, we'll talk about that later in the show. And then losing to Roman. And then it's like, well, okay, then what? Now he's fighting for the IC title. That's my biggest concern. It's why put him immediately in a match with the man when you don't need to. He could fight Jay. He could fight Jimmy. He could go through both of them before he gets to Reigns. And really, if you are going Roman Reigns and The Rock for WrestleMania, which seems to be the direction, then... You need a big time challenger for Roman Reigns at another major pay-per-view, namely the Royal Rumble in January. So why not start building up Finn so that when you get to around Survivor Series time, which by the way is not that far off, it's only a couple months away, that you have Balor in prime position to say, you know what, I'm going to be that challenger at the Royal Rumble, Roman, I'm going to take you out. Because you're going to have that brand versus brand storyline anyway. You're going to have Reigns versus Lashley or whoever the WWE champion is. You're going to be telling that in October and November as it is. So you don't need a challenger for him at that time. I mean, that's months away. I mean, Finn is the kind of guy. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about building Finn Balor up. they They clearly view Finn as the type of guy who can come up from NXT and immediately put in be put into the main event with the champion. So he's a guy where... 
and AJ was the same. And maybe we don't like it, but I don't think this means that they don't think highly of Finn or can't immediately put him right back into this. Spot. Oh no! And who? I, and who knows? Yeah. I mean, again, we're 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 getting down the hypothetical road. Maybe Roman wins by DQ next week, and and then this gets extended for something. They do tags. They do something. They try to protect Finn. I don't know. I don't think it's just a, a guarantee that Finn's going to lose this match and go down to the IC feud or something like that. I, I'm just we'll, saying. We'll have to see. All I'm saying is he's really he's a really good piece for them to have on that show. And it concerns me the way they're it's se- seemingly initially going to use him. And you say via DQ, is that a possibility? Yes. Would it be a nice kind of way to do this? Yeah, maybe, right? Or some type of interference finish or whatever the case. They haven't been doing that with Reigns recently. Reigns has been winning everything clean because they're building him up as super strong. I just look at this situation with Balor and I compare it to what they did with Big E. They took Big E. They split him up from New Day. They gave him the IC title. They kind of kept him pretty, pretty strong. And now they've given him the Money in the Bank briefcase and eventually he's going to cash in. They are building Big E on this road to becoming a main eventer. And you can see the trajectory and it's great. With Balor, I'm concerned that he's getting this match right off the bat. What if Big E, after losing the IC title, had fought Reigns right away and lost? Then he's, he's knocked down a peg. That's my concern here. I'm not necessarily saying they're going to do that. I'm just expressing my concern with them going in this direction. But to your we'll point, see. but to your point, putting Balor in this position with Reigns is good for Balor. It's saying they believe in him, they see something in him, they want to see what he can do with Reigns. I'm just a little apprehensive about it. That's all. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I was excited when he came out, the, the the face that Roman gave when his music hit. I think it was the face we all had. And we'll see. I'm, I'm excited for it. Who knows what things are down the road, but but it got me excited and it was something unexpected and we don't always get that in wrestling. So I'm going to enjoy it while we can. It was. And just to wrap up here for what it's worth, Jordan at Won't Do The Job, he wrote in, he was at SmackDown in Cleveland. He said the crowd was half happy, half angry with Balor coming out and they did We Want Cena Chance after TV went off the air. But mm. Cleveland did get a six-man main event, the bloodline against Cena and the Mysterios. And Jordan said the fans were very happy with that. Not just the match, but the fact that they got Cena again. So it was more of the audience, the TV audience that got gypped, not the Cleveland audience. So the fact that they at least got to see Reigns and Cena go face to face, it means WWE didn't bait and switch them, even though they did us on TV just a little bit. So I just wanted to make sure everyone knew that. Let's move on to the other, what I consider the co-main event of not just SmackDown, but of SummerSlam. This is going to be for me the number two match. Edge and Seth Rollins. Edge got a massive ovation saying he fought hard to get back to wrestling and the fans only for Seth Rollins to screw him over against Roman Reigns. Edge said he thought Rollins would attack Reigns, but understood that his feud with Edge goes back to 2014 when Rollins could have basically ended his life, but chose not to. Edge not only called back to that incident, but he called back to the brood and the ministry of darkness all in one promo saying he will sink to whatever depths necessary to take out Rollins. Rollins came out, he cackled, called him Grandpa Edge, and said he would be stupid to try and fight Rollins. Rollins then said Edge is just like Cena, guys who jump the line and steal opportunities from younger guys whenever the hell they want. Rollins soaked in you suck chance and said he wouldn't hesitate to end Edge for good this time. They brawled and the whole thing ended with an execution as Rollins avoided a spear. This had a lot of really good vibes for me. Everything worked. The callbacks by Edge were necessary and perfect. The promos, the interaction between both of them was great. I'm not sure how they're going to extend this feud for four more weeks, but that's a question really for another day. We'll see what happens this coming Friday. This feud started hot. 
And as I said, to me, it's coming off as the co-main event of SummerSlam. And that's obviously a great thing. Yeah. A couple of things I wrote down here. First off, it, it, in kayfabe, it was a little weird for Edge to make his first appearance after losing a championship match and be like fired up. And I know he's trying to get the crowd up and he's excited and the crowd's excited to see him. And I get going for that. But part of me was like, dude, you just lost the championship. Like, why are you like excited? You, you should be kind of down. But he got it. But but then he got into that with the promo, which was good. And SmackDown did this a few times. They did it with Roman, too. The promo in the dark with the spotlight on them. So good. they should do that. They should do that way more often. That makes that makes everything way more serious. It changes the mood. I think the crowd is more intent on listening, um, and it adds to to everything. I think I think they've done it with Bobby Lashley in the past, but uh, I, I really like that aspect of it too. Uh, so this was this was good stuff all around, and it it was really well presented, and that stuck out to me as much as anything. I don't even have anything to add. I think you nailed it. That's a sh- one of our shortest main event topics, maybe of all time. So, <laughs> hey, wait, wait, listen, when they do something good, it's good, right? There's <laughs> not much to say other than how much we love it. We love it. It's great. I, I know I, we don't want to be too negative on this podcast. We want we want it to be made clear that we love this and they do good things, and we want to make sure we highlight them and give it a good amount of time to say that. It's smart. It's a good feud, and I would love a scenario over these next four weeks, as we talked about, because we really don't know what's going to happen or how they're going to extend it. I would love Edge to be put in a situation where he can have his neck broken again like Rollins almost did back in 2014. I don't know if you bring in J&J Security to do that or, you know, what exactly you do. Maybe Rollins actually gets some other henchmen or pays people off. I don't really know. But I would love to see something like that happen where they revisit that because Edge did call back to that feud in his promo and callbacks are important. It's one thing that WWE, since fans have come back to their credit, they're calling back to a lot of stuff and they're noting yep. it with videos and, and highlights and things like that. And that's really good. I would have loved to have seen like images of the brood and the ministry of darkness. Although I can understand yeah. why they wouldn't show the ministry of darkness. Um, some of that would have been cool while he was cutting his promo for them to show it on the Titan Tron. But other than that, even just him mentioning them pops us older fans who remember yes. all that stuff. So that's pretty cool. So, okay. That's the SmackDown portion of the main event. Let's move over to the raw portion which shockingly did not involve Bobby Lashley and Goldberg, but rather Nikki Ash, Charlotte Flair, and to some extent, Rhea Ripley. So we're going to take this in two parts. Nikki Ash opened Raw to muted cheers and a very light, you deserve it chant. She cut a decent babyface promo about dressing as a superhero, helping her believe in herself and overcome the odds. Charlotte Flair came out dressed head to toe in Versace and and got booed by the crowd saying Nikki as champion is a disgrace. And then she made excuses for losing via cash and demanding a rematch against Nikki at SummerSlam. Charlotte went on and on for it honestly felt like a half hour before Rhea Ripley mercifully interrupted. She got a lot of cheers and said she wanted Nikki at SummerSlam, that she deserved an opportunity. It was good to see Ripley get that over. And I was really happy that she got a response like that, given you and I were talking about not really knowing if she's heel or face and the booking of her candidly has been awful recently or since she debuted on Raw, I should say. So the fact that she got cheers was a big positive. Nikki said that she wanted a metamorphosis of the women's division on Raw because Flair and Ripley had enough chances and they paid that off with Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville coming out and making an obvious expected triple threat match between the three of them. 
And then Nikki challenged Charlotte Flair for the main event, just in a singles non-title match, even though the match was already set for SummerSlam. And Nikki didn't even complain that she wanted to change the women's division, but now the same match is happening with the same people. So I was begging for this to end. It was so boring and the booking was so blatant. We couldn't let anyone else get a chance at Nikki before making the obvious SummerSlam match. Again, with three more Raws left, you could have easily done it next week. No one else can get a chance. There wasn't a shred of creativity in this entire segment. The whole deal with Nikki is again proof of WWE unnecessarily rushing shit to their own detriment. Nikki got a couple of fluke wins on Raw, then immediately won Money in the Bank, and then cashed it in right away the very next night. They gave her no time to get the gimmick over, gave fans no time to fall in love with her, and gave the briefcase no time to serve as a means of building her up into a contender. Her gimmick is literally almost a superhero. Shouldn't she almost beat Flair, almost cash in, come close time and time again until she's finally successful cashing in the briefcase? Instead, this push was rushed for no reason whatsoever, and the crowd reaction to Nikki is your greatest indicator of that. I was going to make that same point. Are we going to get into how the show ended? Because I was going to. I was going to pause here and kind of let you get in and then talk. Yeah, one thing about the opening, um, Nikki's promo had it was it was babyface promo, but it had too many applause lines. And WWE does this sometimes when someone wins a championship. They say they they say a couple sentences and then they end with a flare to get somebody to cry to react. But she did it like five times, and the crowd just doesn't. They can't keep cheering every time you do it, and. Uh, shout out to Charlotte. She said Nikki Ash. Yeah, I know. Everybody else, yeah. everybody else is saying Nikki Ash, but Charlotte said Nikki Ash. I caught that. That's what her name should be. Just let, go let with me, it. Let me briefly interrupt you. I'm sorry. So <laughs> yeah. when they introduced Nikki to the ring, they said she's almost a superhero. Yes. Nikki Ash. Ash means almost superhero. So you're saying almost a superhero, Nikki, almost a superhero. That's like ATM machine. <laughs> yeah, it's like yes, VIP yes. person. It's like, what, SEC, what are you doing? SEC conference. SEC conference. SEC yeah. conference. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> NFL yeah, league. Was, I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah, that was, that was weird. That was weird. Also, one thing, this is a larger issue among the way they do women's promos in WWE all the time. Like 75% of the words are sarcasm and, right. and like, mugness and it's like no one sounds like a real person and credit to nikki who's kind of doing that in this character but both Rhea and charlotte were doing it and it's like it, it, it what it tells you subliminally with the sarcastic talking is you're trying to see who cares less about the other person it's like a competition of not taking the other one seriously and it's really frustrating and, um, and the weird thing too the dynamic so nikki's is supposed to be this pure baby face right Rhea Ripley is now a face, clearly, but a badass face who doesn't take any shit and has a hard edge to her. Charlotte Flair is a heel, but she's doing really good work. So you kind of want to cheer her. So you you don't really know what to do with Charlotte. You don't really know how to react to Rhea. And you have Nikki, who's being this corny goofball face, but that character can work when you give it reason to, like, Right. Hurricane now, now get, yeah, exactly. Get into how the show ended now, because that's how I was going to make the same okay, point here. So let's, so let's get into this. So 
we have Nikki Ash against Charlotte Flair in a champion contenders match, which is something else we're going to talk about later in the show. The definition of that, what it means, and why they keep using it. So Nikki cuts another babyface promo backstage. Ripley told her to go give Flair help. The, the match starts. Flair beats up Nikki at the bell, kicks her ass. Fans gave Nikki a light chant before she had a flying crossbody off the ring apron outside and a tornado DDT inside. Flair countered a flying crossbody inside, you know, when you like roll over the person and land on top of them, and pinned her one, two, three, without a signature move, without a finisher. The woman who just won the championship last week gets pinned in the main event of Raw. Flair then refused to be congratulated after the match and trashed Nikki on the mic, who said she proved she could almost beat Flair, and that made her happy, and then demanded a rematch next week. So the end of Raw, a show that, you know, granted itself didn't feature that many rematches, which is a little bit of a positive, says, you know that match that you just saw? The storyline that sucked this entire show? We're going to give it to you again next week. That's how they closed the show. Flair then said she could beat her any week. She agreed to the match. They shook hands. Why would Nikki shake hands with her? And Flair cheap shot at her twice before rubbing her face in a fan sign and laying her out clean, like flat, right on the mat at the end of the show. So this match was wrestled well. The booking would have, Chris, been great if Nikki hadn't already cashed in the briefcase. Exactly, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Imagine this pro, imagine that promo Charlotte's cutting if she's the champion, if she's putting down Nikki time and time again and Nikki's getting close and closer to beating Charlotte but can't do it. She's not almost, it's not almost beating Charlotte. She's already beaten Charlotte. And I know it was a one move cash in, but we saw it already. You already gave us the payoff. So you... We're not getting behind the underdog now. She's the champion. So that's that's the exact problem they did with this Nikki Ash, almost a superhero storyline, is that you got to build her. She's the un, she's an underdog. That's the character. You got to build the underdog. You can't just give it to her right away and then build up the underdog. That's not how this works. She's already the champion. That's the crazy thing. If she had the briefcase, it would have set the stage for Nikki overcoming the adversity of Charlotte over a period of weeks or even months. Instead, the new champion was made to look completely pathetic and undeserving of the title by losing clean without even taking a finisher just one week after winning it. And not only did she not take a finisher, she got beat with the move she used to beat Charlotte for the title last week. So seven days later, Charlotte's already overcome the title loss. She knows she has a championship match at SummerSlam. She's beat her once on Raw. I have to assume she's going to beat her next week too. And she did all of this while kicking the shit out of the champion and no-selling the entire match. This is the angle they bookended Raw with. They got 20 minutes in this segment, the women. That's great. We talk about women not getting enough time sometimes on WWE television. But this is the booking? This is not working, Chris, the way WWE thinks. And if they stay on this path, Nikki's, forget about being cheered loudly. Forget about being cheered at all. She will start getting booed sooner than later. Mark my words. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. 
And I, as someone who's there at Money in the Bank, I thought they had set this up really well. Like they set up, you know, Nikki was a surprise winner for everybody in the crowd, but they were pretty into it. And then the Charlotte Rhea match was great. Everybody was super into it. I, I, I had called Charlotte to win. She's doing the best work of anybody on, uh, on the women's Raw roster. And this was set up for her to go on a long reign because she is going to be so dominant and put people down and talk about how much better she is. She can't keep up this gimmick if she's not the champion. She's only won it for 24 hours. And like coming out of Money in the Bank, I thought they had a great setup. And it'd be essentially the story they're telling now. But you've already given us the 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 the, the, the climax of it where Nikki wins. <laughs> so it's just like, well, it's just... I, I thought they had a good plan coming out of the money in the bank, and I think they did have a good plan. They just stepped on their own plan, and it's going to be really, it. really weird how they recover this. You, you nailed it. They started the angle with the climax. Yeah. Where does she go from here? What what mountaintop is there? So let's say she let's say she wins at SummerSlam, and she pins Ripley because Ripley's in the match, and Flair is not going to get pinned at SummerSlam, right? Then what? Seriously, what's next for her? Yeah. I, I I don't know, <laughs> like Becky Lynch, like if she like I don't even, and then Becky beats her and gets booed, like it it doesn't even none of this makes sense. It's it's a terrible piece of booking. I I maintain this, Chris. The gimmick I like. I think Nikki's doing a good job. I'm glad she pitched it. Winning the Money in the Bank briefcase, we said this. I would have chosen Liv Morgan, but Nikki was maybe the second best option in that match. So everything was going pretty well. And mm-hmm. even despite the stupid ass beat the clock booking that we criticized, Nikki was still getting over. It was all kind of working, but they over pushed her. They rushed the storyline. And as you said so smartly, they gave us the climax before the storyline. So there's nothing else to happen. Could you imagine if Nikki held the briefcase and they did this triple threat match with her as the briefcase holder at SummerSlam, right? And she's in the match and they're all wrestling and Flair wins somehow, maybe even beats Nikki and Ripley destroys Flair. And then Nikki cashes it in on Flair at SummerSlam. Even just that is better. That's not even good booking. In fact, that may be one of the worst booking the damn territories I've ever given, but it's better than this. It's better yeah. than this, Chris. It, it's, it's just, it's frustrating because it's not like some, they, it's not some terrible idea. Like they had it set. They just, Gave us the end of the story at the beginning. <laughs> and it was like, they just had it set up. And so we're rooting for Nikki to retain her championship. Like I don't, I don't just, even know who I'm rooting. I don't even know not, who I'm that, rooting for. That's not, a, that's not a triumphant moment. And with Charlotte now, because she has so many title reigns, I guess they cut off the NXT ones. And now she's at 11 or something. I thought which I said. Could, so which could move, by the way. I mean, yes, they included yeah. the NXT one and the women's tag team title, which was more offensive. Yeah. yeah. So... It's, she's farther down, so it's less kind of in the back of your mind. But the story here is Charlotte wins the title back, and then Nikki <laughs> earns her way herself into up it. to win it back. Yeah. But we just we already did this in twenty four hours, so I don't know. We've been going on saying the same thing. It's it's yeah. it's just frustrating. I think no. I think all what you people, said. All the people involved are really talented, and and they deserve better. I, I think what you said is the only way to save it is you have Charlotte win it back. And then Nikki, over like a two, three month period, has to go through the gauntlet of every woman on Raw 
and beat yeah. them all to get back to the top of the division, face Charlotte again and beat her without the briefcase, without any help, clean with a finisher and beats her, you know, and wins the title. But the problem with that, the only problem with that is the character may be dead at SummerSlam. Right. That that's a concern because we've already gotten the payoff exactly. that we wanted with her, and and it's harder to get her behind her. Like the Hurricane never won the title; <laughs> he, he he was not meant to be a world champion. I'm okay with Nikki being Raw Women's Champion if it happened three months from now. The fact that it happened one night, and by the way, do they just not trust women with the Money in the Bank briefcase? Like, I don't, I don't know. It, what Every, are they doing? Like, it, it is like so four, infuriating. It's like four, like four times it's been cashed in within like a week. Or something like that. Yeah, it is so infuriating. Okay, that's our main event. I think you know where this rest of the show is going. Smackdown good, Raw bad. Let's break both of them down with our still somewhat fresh segment. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's start with the WWE champion, right? Because... That normally should be in the main event. Uh, we had Bobby Lashley and MVP hit the ring to discuss Goldberg and his challenge from last week. The Kansas City crowd came alive for one of like two times all night to chant Goldberg over MVP as Lashley said he wouldn't dignify the challenge, which was disrespectful, with a response. Cedric Alexander came out and said disrespect was excommunicating him from the Hurt Business. And by the way, he used that word, which I've been using on this podcast for like months now. So I kind of love that. You know, it popped me a little bit. Uh, he said, because Lashley knows that Alexander's better than him. Right after that, Shelton Benjamin came out, did the exact same thing. And Lashley immediately accepted, but called for it on his own to be a handicap match. So we got Lashley against Alexander and Benjamin. Lashley took Cedric out immediately with a flatliner and a helicopter shot into the ring post. Alexander got a tornado DDT spring off the middle rope. Lashley then ruined them with a spine buster and a spear. He had a jackhammer on Benjamin, which is a cool allusion to Goldberg, and threw Alexander atop him with a dominator for the double pin. Now, normally, I would bitch about squashing two guys, but the whole point of this recent booking is to make Lashley look like a monster. So if you're going to have him kick the shit out of Koki Kingston, a former WWE champion, I'm not going to argue with him kicking the shit out of Alexander and Benjamin here. It just, you're not going to do one without the other. Lashley looked like a monster. Um, he was a beast. The only negative really is that Goldberg never showed up. They didn't directly say he would, but it seemed like he was going to considering he was advertised on the graphic. Still, despite understanding some may criticize this booking for the reasons I mentioned, I'm going to go with good. Yeah, it was good. I mean, I mean look, we, we'd love the Hurt Business to get back together. It's it's not happening. We can just kind of forget about that. I like the way Bobby ex accepted the challenge. He just took the mic from MVP and said, all right, I'll do this. Both of you guys right now, let's do it. And then he kicked her ass. It that was, was great. great. Yeah. It, 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 it actually continues to be really good in pretty much every aspect of, of, of what he does. Um, MVP uh, really grew his hair out, it sure looked like. <laughs> I um, noticed that, so, yeah. Shout out to him for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I got to say this though. People chanting, we want Cena. People chanting for Goldberg. I know we hate when part-timers come back to do certain things. Maybe not Cena, but that still resonates with a lot of the crowd. And that's partly on WWE for not developing something else, something new. 
But when you see stuff like that, that's why they brought Goldberg back, even though we've already ranted about how much we're going to hate it. There's it still no, matters to a lot of people. Sorry to interrupt. There's no problem with Goldberg coming back. Zero. The problem is Goldberg being in a WWE championship match. Sure. You had your Goldberg-Dolph Ziggler feud a couple of years ago at whatever event it was. It was perfect. It was all you needed. It's the perfect use of Goldberg. And Goldberg was able to win because it was Ziggler. It wasn't the champion. You don't need to bring him back against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Uh, you know, eventually Braun Strowman. And you don't need to bring him back against Drew McIntyre. And you don't need to bring him back against Bobby Lashley, all in WWE championship situations. That is why Goldberg sucks. The, the usage of Goldberg sucks. Him being there is fine. Him being involved in WWE championship pictures and having basically no successful defenses and losing when he challenges for it. And he can't even wrestle three minutes and you're putting it on SummerSlam. All of that combined yeah, is why this we, is yeah. bad. And we don't need to get back into how much you hate Goldberg. I know it's and, and let me just add one more thing. Here's yep. the booking. Here's what you do instead of what they did. You have those guys come out. You think they're going to have a match. Goldberg comes out. Instead, they all attack Goldberg and you reform the Hurt Business. The crowd yes. pops. The crowd pops. <laughs> the fans, the IWC is happy. And Goldberg now has a reason to be looked at as, you know, oh my God, like they just took him out three on one. You have Goldberg get over Lashley the next week. And then you have Lashley beat him at the pay-per-view. It's easy booking and everyone ends up happy at the end because you used Goldberg to reform the Hurt Business. Instead, they just squashed him. I agree, although he's probably not in ring match shape until SummerSlam. But overall, He doesn't need to be. He's just going to take a beat down. It it is what it is. All he was going to do is get punched and kicked in my book. No, I I mean next week you're talking about. Oh, yeah, no, you don't have him fight. No, that that wouldn't work. Uh, But okay, let's move on. Uh, Finn Balor fought Sami Zayn. This is the other part kind of of the main event. Uh, Balor hit a tope con hero after Zayn rallied. Balor hit a sling blade, but Zayn countered the missile dropkick into a blue thunderbomb. Balor hit a double stomp, two missile dropkicks, and the coup de grace for the one, two, three. I guess he's not using the 1916 on the main roster like he was in NXT, but I do hope that he is able to pull that move out in big moments. Maybe if the coup de grace doesn't get a pinfall, for example. Uh, this was a really well-wrestled match, and it was an important first win for Balor, who looked good, and gave the Cleveland crowd a show to open the episode, these two fighting each other. So this was really good for me. Yeah, really fun, great match between two guys. You know, we're going to have a great match. And Finn is still very much over, you know, being back, crowd loves him. You know, that's why the Roman stuff, I think, really worked. Um, One thing I wrote down, uh, Cole called the Blue Thunderbomb the Michinoku driver, which he does all the time. It's ridiculous. Or at least he used to back when Balor was previously on the main roster. I don't know why he always gets that one wrong. Um, also, I like they before they started this match, they showed Sammy winning the Intercontinental Championship to unify it. They did this at Money in the Bank where they'd show previous yeah, stuff I mentioned from that years ago, months ago to yeah. give you background. And we wanted to see more of it. They, they did that here and it was great. I think they should do stuff like that all the time. It's a great table setter as we get into a match to tell us why this matters. And uh, yeah, this is good stuff. Now, uh, first of all, the thing with Cole that you mentioned, he did call it, he goes, it's a Michinoku driver, uh, you know, and partial blue thunderbomb or like something like that. And Pat McAfee smartly jumped on him. He goes, that's a blue thunderbomb, Cole. Uh, You're going to get, they're going to get, they're going to get on you for that one. (laughs) He said something (laughs) like that. So, you know, I love that back and forth that they have, but yes, like it's a blue thunderbomb. It's not a Michinoku driver. It's, Obviously not one. It's, he doesn't even do a Michinoku. It's a totally different move. So how can you not 
it it almost made me think that it was on purpose this week. I mean, maybe I don't know. I like, think he's, like, I, he's done it. He's done it a lot. I know, but this week I think it was on purpose so that Pat could get the line in. Maybe that's what it felt like to me. But I know I'm being repetitive today. I'm just I said it was going to be the theme of the show. This to me was another example of WWE not taking a beat. Balor and Zayn they had that interaction last week where Balor kicked his ass. WWE could have waited to do the match by letting Balor pick up a couple of wins over Low Carters first. Instead, they just ran it immediately. Zayn took another loss. Now, granted, Balor needed to win that because right. now he's going to be facing Reigns. So right. it made sense. Right. But in the moment, I didn't feel that way. So looking at it in retrospect, though, it did make sense. Uh, we'll move back over to Raw. They had a Raw Tag Team Championship match. AJ Styles and Omos against the Viking Raiders. The champions didn't even get an entrance. The challengers immediately took out Omos and hit Styles. What do you think about that? You said the champions didn't get an entrance. They're doing this all the time now in, in the three shows that they've had back. Like half of matches, somebody doesn't get an entrance. And it's very weird to not do that for your champions. That stuck out. I just want to get it in because it happened a lot throughout both shows. But it's just something I really picked up on. And it's uh, it's interesting. And as if Raw needs to save time. That they, they can't give us a 90 yeah. second entrance, yeah, exactly. right? Like it's a three hour yeah. show. But regardless, um, especially by the way, for a tag team that is over and people yeah. really like, and you want to see fans cheering. It was a total missed opportunity to do that. But so the, so Styles took the Viking experience, which is the finisher, 90 seconds, maybe honestly 60 seconds into the match. Omos broke the fall and then he destroyed both Raiders outside as the illegal man. And there was no disqualification. What, what referees in WWE consider disqualifications these days, I don't understand anymore. And we will talk more about that we, later, too. Yes, we will get into that. So Ivor got the hot tag. He cartwheeled away from a phenomenal forearm, which was cool. He got up on Styles. Eric got a near fall as Ivar held Omas's leg. Styles caught Eric with a Pele kick and tagged Omas, who had a delayed body slam, tossed Ivar out of the ring, hit that last ride kind of style choke slam, and then tagged in Styles for a springboard 450 splash for the one, two, three. Fans liked the Raiders. They did. But they loved Styles and Omas and gave yep. them big face cheers, especially after the match. This was an exciting match. There were a couple of nice surprises in here. It would have been better if Omas was just not so freaking green. But regardless of that, they are doing well with him. Credit where it's due. And it was an easy call for good. There's only like three things on Raw that were good. We're, we're talking about a couple of them here to start off. This was one of them. This is the face team, and they, they were over at Money in the Bank. They got more cheers than the Viking Raiders did at Money in the Bank as well. And because they're fun, like AJ does fun moves, and Omos is a cool big guy. Like they're just, you know, it's, it's a big guy and a little guy. You naturally cheer for them. This was fun. I'm a lot higher on, on, on Omos than, than you are. I think he moves incredibly well for a guy his size, and he seems to get a lot of the little things like he knows how to deliver a move the right way. He still needs to generally learn how to do a lot of things with, with wrestling. But man, I, I Kevin Nash was on the um, so-called uh, broken skull sessions on the network. And he said he spent a lot of time with Omos down at the performance center and, and helped him on a lot of stuff. And Austin said, do you think he's money? And Kevin Nash said, yeah. And, and Nash is probably going to say that anyway, but he's a real smart guy when it comes to this stuff. And every time I see Omos, I just I, I really think he gets it. And once he figures it all out, I think it's going to be huge for WWE. He definitely has the presence 
He just doesn't really have the athleticism. I'm not worried about him with styles. This is I mean, I mean, well, athleticism, he's seven three. I like, know, I understand. Moves, I understand. He moves a lot better than than a than a big show, than a than a cane, than a giant Gonzalez, no, than, than he a doesn't. lot of the guys we've seen of that size. I mean, not early big show. He does not, not move like better than any of those. He does not move better than any of those guys. He moves better than not 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 all big guys, but he moves better than Big Show has for fifteen years. And and Big and, Show's like thirty years older than him. I said fifty. Yeah, I know. I said fifteen years ago. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm I saying mean, I just he we we he move he he. There's a lot of fluidity to him, not necessarily in the wrestling moves, but the way he moves around. I really think he's going to be a big thing. And just mark it down here years from now when this works out that I've been saying since day one, since WrestleMania, you, were, you didn't like his debut. Yes, you were on I the loved bandwagon. his debut. Yes. I was on the bandwagon at the beginning, so I'm, I'm, I really believe it's going to get there at some point. You're on the bandwagon. And, I'm not, but I'm also not anti-Omas. I just don't sure, think... Sure, right, right, right. right. I, I just don't think he has long-term potential without Styles. I don't know what you do with him. I, I, I mean, I think he's talented. I just... It's one of those. Well, acts that's a right, problem with. I mean, that's a problem with all kinds of big men and how they handle them. And I just think it's one of those acts that you get two years out of it, maybe three, and then I, I don't know what happens after that. That that's we'll kind see. of. He's got, he's got charisma too. I think he can do a lot. I think he'll stick around. All right, let's keep keep it with Raw and kind of keep it with Styles and Omos. We had Riddle against John Morrison in a singles match. Styles huddled up with Morrison in the Miz backstage before the match. Miz squirted Riddle in the ass with the dripstick. Again, phrases that. I never thought I would say, let alone say that they're good. Uh, so Riddle then jumped over the ropes onto the ring apron and punt kicked Miz uh, down the wheelchair, like tipped it over just like he did a couple weeks ago into like a turtle position where he's like flailing around on the ground. It's funny. They can't do it enough. They could do it every week and I would still laugh. Riddle then hit Morrison with a springboard floating bro outside. Rid- uh, Styles and Omos walked down just as Morrison uh, took advantage after that distraction. Styles messed with Riddle's scooter, and then Omos grabbed it and snapped it over his leg as Morrison grabbed Riddle off the top rope into a razor's edge, swinging Uranagi. And then he hit Starship Pain, which he didn't even bounce correctly, Morrison. So he bounced a second time on the rope, still hit it properly for the win. Styles then attacked Riddle and hit him with the Styles Clash as the crowd chanted for who else but Randy Orton. This was, Chris, the best thing on Raw. We got a great match with two great wrestlers. The storyline made complete sense. Riddle got sympathy. Styles got heat. Morrison got a win. This is how you book wrestling. Unfortunately, it came more than two-thirds of the way through what was otherwise a terrible show. Randy Orton is going to get a massive pop when he returns next week or the week after. But as for Monday night... That was a good one, yeah. Anytime you watch any TV show and you re- and there's multiple storylines going on at once and you realize characters can do more than one thing at once and deal with multiple people in different ways. It's always stark when you come back to wrestling and you realize they can only do the one thing they're doing with that one person every week. And so to get Miz and Morrison together with AJ and Omos to just decide to pick on Riddle, like it's so against what they typically do but it's great. Like, this is how it should work. Heels should just team up on faces all the time and do stuff to them. They don't, not everything has to be, you don't have to be directly involved in a feud. You just be a heel and break somebody's scooter. And this was great. And I, I love seeing John Morrison get another win. He's 
still remains incredibly fun to watch. I think Miz getting hurt is doing wonders for him. It's a ble- it was a blessing re- in disguise. I hate to say it. To really getting to see how talented he is at a lot of things. And, and, and Riddle gets knocked down a peg, but there, there was interference. He was distracted. It makes sense. And you know, Omas breaking the scooter was a cool image. And again, I think they should be faces, but you know, if they're going to be heels, they got to do heel things. This was great. This is this was just really good stuff all around. And it's like, man, they could do stuff like this all the time. They definitely could, but they don't. Uh, we hit Sheamus against Damian Priest in a championship contenders match. We'll talk about that momentarily. Uh, Priest cut a tape promo that was pretty good, calling Sheamus a coward for not defending the United States title and daring him to find a set of balls, presumably, is what he was saying. Priest also had a really cool new augmented reality fire graphic for his entrance. Priest took a backdrop on the ring apron. He later hit a roundhouse kick that knocked Sheamus's mask off. Priest then hit South of Heaven off the top rope as Sheamus sold the injured nose. Sheamus reversed the reckoning into an Alabama slam and hit a pumped knee for a pair of near falls. Priest cut Sheamus with some elbows uh, to the face and then followed with the reckoning finally for a win as Sheamus screamed that his nose was rebroken. This was a solid big man match. Nothing spectacular, but it was entertaining and the right person won, although the champion, of course, lost. Commentary, though, was put in a tough spot because they were selling the importance of the win without naming Priest the number one contender, even though he beat the champion, which is very, very strange. But other than it being strange, it was good. Yeah, and it it was so nice to see Sheamus against somebody else now after being two months of 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 um of the other stuff he was doing priest yeah they just like they keep i don't want to say botching it but they keep kind of messing up their push of him and and that's another example for the reason you just said like he he wrestlemania happens and the thing he was involved in was huge but bad bunny was so huge that we basically kind of forgot damian priest was involved and they try to ride off of that but he gets i don't know if it was sick or injured or whatever it was we didn't see him for a bit. I think he hurt his back. Now he's been, yeah. Now he's been back for a little bit, but they're not. He's not quite involved. It's almost like he's too cool to get involved. Like just go with him. Just push him. Just start doing this. Tell us how big of a deal it is that he beat Sheamus and should be number one contender and all these kinds of things. And it's like it's weird that they're not fully pulling the trigger on it because he's he's great. And and I'd, I'd love to see more of that. And one other thing with that entrance, they did kind of change the entrance. What I think they should do, you know, when he was in NXT, he would do the fake shoot the arrow and it would hit the screen and the name would show up. Mm-hmm. You've got a giant screen back there now. Just do that again. And you can probably put an augmented reality arrow in there if you want to do it, considering how much they're doing this. I don't know. I think it'd be cool, but that's just kind of a little thing. By the way, I should also note, since we just mentioned Riddle, uh, the dark match main event for Raw was John Cena and Riddle teaming up. Oh. against Mace and T-Bar in tag team action. Really? So the crowd got Mace and T-Bar twice, but they got John <laughs> Cena and Riddle. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to say about that, but Cena and Riddle together is pretty damn cool. What do, you, what, what do you think about them using Cena so much on dark matches, not on TV matches? I think it's good because you can't have him on every single TV episode, especially when his feud is on the SmackDown brand. But at the same time, you want to give the fans John Cena. And if Cena's willing to work, a match like that, then good for him. If he's willing to fly into a city and just for a 10 minute match and some cheers, so maybe he's out in front of people for 20 to 30 minutes. I mean, you got to respect that. I, I'm just wondering 
is is part of this just him getting back into ring shape and he doesn't want to be on TV yet? that too or like yeah or 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 you know when he was the US Open champion he would just wrestle random guys one on one and they'd like all get a boost from wrestling with him I keep thinking of that too like I don't know like do Cena versus Drew Gulak or something like that for 10 minutes in in the show and I I don't know I'm I'm just I'm just trying to think of different ways they could do it or different reasons are doing it this way cuz to have Cena and to use him so minimally, I'm just, it, it feels like a missed opportunity. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I on Raw, I don't really know that you can get him in storylines while on SmackDown he's feuding with yeah. Reigns. But that is what I said with SmackDown. Like, he really should fight Jay and he should probably fight Jimmy. And then he should probably be in a tag team against the Usos. But then they're champions. So it's like, oh, then he beats the champions individually yeah. and together. You know, but he's John Cena. I mean, I know it's, like, it's nothing we haven't seen before. I'm just saying we we would criticize like either we would criticize it or other people would criticize it. So you're almost in a no win situation. I'm OK with him having the dark match matches. I, yeah, I, I just think, think I, I think of that Cena riddle bit and we wanted more of it, but we enjoyed it. And I'm like, man, we've got a summer of Cena. I want to see him with as many different people as possible because he can help so many guys just by being in by them being in his presence. And I just wish we could see that more. I would like him on both shows just to do even something. Even if it's just backstage. Even yeah, I was going to say backstage that. and put a guy over. Even if it's him backstage commiserating with Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville and the Street Profits walk up and they have an interaction, right? Or he's backstage and you see him giving advice to Chad Gable, uh, which is a bad example because he's a heel. But, yes, exactly. But you, get, yeah. but you get what I'm saying. Stuff like that yeah. is a good use of him. But yeah, they're, dude, they're not creative enough to give us a good three-hour we're, raw. We're, how we're getting we... one, we're getting one segment from him, and he they're paying him, I'm sure, a shit ton of money. Like, I, I don't know if it's in his contract that he only gets one segment or, or a certain number of TV matches. I don't know. I just feel like if you have this opportunity, like, get everything out of this while you can, because he's going to be gone forever again. Yeah. You, again, just him as like an advice giver backstage or propping people up in Gorilla after a big win, like seeing Damian Priest backstage giving him the thumbs up or something like that. That means a lot. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it is strange in that regard. I don't think he needs to wrestle on TV, though. I'm okay with that not happening. Uh, but let's quickly talk about these championship contender matches before we move on. We've had like six of them in two weeks. And it yeah. seems like this is now what WWE is calling all non-title matches involving champions. It doesn't matter if you already have a title match coming up like Flair or if you're a new challenger like Priest. You don't automatically get a number one contendership if you win. Like Priest won, and again, he didn't get a number one contendership. I like the idea in principle, the way AEW uses eliminator matches. And that's something that they just kind of fell into uh, because of Joey Janela. And he was supposed to be in an eliminator match, uh, in an eliminator, a like, larger match with more people, but he was injured or sick, or so he couldn't compete. So they gave him one individually with Omega. And now what AEW does is if they want to set up a number one contendership, in addition to their rankings, in addition to some of their other things, they have an eliminator match. And if you beat the champion, you get a match. But if you lose, you don't get to challenge that champion for the title. I love that match concept. But WWE is, it's not the same concept and it's not the same name. They're just saying, hey, anytime a champion fights, we're going to call it this. And to me, that's ridiculous. First of all, why do the champions fight so often? Why not allow Priest to fight Umberto Creo or Angel Garza or anyone else, Cedric Alexander, Shelton Benjamin on that show, build him up so that he becomes naturally the number one contender. 
if yeah. the non-champion wins any of these matches, it's basically saying to fans, the match we're going to put on a pay-per-view, you already saw it. Enjoy the rematch. I think the idea has some value to it. But as is frequently the case with WWE, the execution of it is really disappointing. So I like the idea of putting a name on this. You know, if, hey, if you beat the champion, you get a title shot. Or at least that's how it's supposed to be. Guys. That's, that's my first general read of it. I don't know what the Damian Priest stuff. I, I like the idea of putting a label on it because then it means something. The problem is they're going way overboard on this right off the bat. They are they're every championship contenders match. I feel like that the contender has won. And it's, it's it's almost like instead of coming up with a solution to aid aid, maybe a little issue that they have. They're just making it the whole thing now. Now it's just like, oh, we can have champions lose all the time because now it's part of storyline as opposed to it ever being a shock anymore. And so as with a lot of things with WWE, I think they made a smart decision and then went way too hard into it. They just didn't, they didn't execute it. Yeah. They didn't execute it. So this wasn't a good, bad or ugly, but I mean, it's bad. It's not ugly yet, but it's bad. Um, Yeah. I I mean, I guess it isn't specific to it. It wasn't. Yeah. So I I just wanted to throw it in here because we were talking about it, but we got a lot more to talk about. So let's keep going. Uh, So far it's been good stuff. Baron Corbin over on SmackDown said he lost money on the GoFundMe because the web designer screwed him, stole his identity and ruined his credit. He also rode the bus to work. Later, Kevin Owens was helping Shotzi and Knox repair their tank. When Corbin apologized him to him, uh, KO said that no one pities Corbin because he's basically been an asshole for eight years. Owens did feel, feel bad eventually. He gave him 40 or $60, suggesting he stop being a jerk. And Corbin looked legitimately appreciative, which I believe is the beginning of the face turn. The tank then suddenly shot him in the nuts with a missile. The dirty dogs came in just like uh, in like you see it in a cartoon or villains in a movie, and they stole his money and then KO chased them away with a chair. So allowing yeah. Corbin to get babyface rub from KO, who is, is as over as basically any babyface on SmackDown, and then setting up for next week a tag team match against two solid heels in Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, I think it's a great way to progress Corbin's babyface turn. Everything about this continues to work well for me, and I'm glad it's now moving forward. This is an easy call as good. Yeah, and... I said from the beginning that this was a Corbin face turn, but then I wasn't sure because all the faces kept making fun of him and he got stunned by Kevin Owens and all these things are happening. And I don't really know what to make of it. And Vince thinking somebody is poor is very much a Vince. It's funny. It's very much a Vince thing. So I I hope this is a face turn because I think Corbin's doing a good job. And I think there's a real story you can tell here. But each week it's like Corbin saying, you know, it was okay. He, where, where are my notes? I, he said something really, really enlightening. I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, he, he, okay. He talked about how the crown was giving him $20,000 a week. And now because he doesn't have the crown, he's making less money. That's really good stuff that like, I, I'm always like, put fake money into wrestling. Like you want to win the match. Cause you get more money. If you win more, like there's just creates stakes. So for Corbin to say that, I, this might not have been on the, I don't know if this was on the show or if this was YouTube only because I wrote down YouTube here, but he, I, it's on the WWE YouTube page. It's a really good promo about how the crown was giving him more money. When he lost it, he was not making the same amount of money anymore. And that's part of what's caused him to go into this debt. It's really good character work. I just hope they 
they follow through on it and tell us this whole story because I really think there's a, a good story they can tell and really make him a face. I'm just still not, I'm still on the fence whether or not they're going to do that. Stuff like him getting hit, hit the nuts and losing his money. I'm not sure if they're really going to make him a face. Well, I mean, it's it, it's a face turn, but he's still suffering from bad luck. He's he's bad luck. Charlie but it's like right it's now. face it's faces that are hitting him in the nuts, and and we're like we're supposed yeah, to but they didn't them. do it on purpose. It, they were fixing the thing. And I know I, that's, true, that's true. That's true. So it was that's bad true. luck. That was the whole point. And Ko, you have to understand, Ko stood up for him. You all you need is one dude to have your back, one guy, and Ko has his back. So it made Ko look like a huge baby face. And Corbin, if he's actually appreciative as he seemed he was, then he maybe he develops and moves in that direction as well. They're taking it slow. It's the opposite of rushing Nikki yeah. Ash's character. Yep. It's it's yep. it's good, and, that, and that's why I like it. So it has been good. It has been. So good. I'm very. Positive I'm giving this a good. I'm giving this a good. Yeah, no, I know. I'm I'm just very positive on it, and I hope it just keeps going in that direction. So uh, we'll stay with SmackDown for a little bit here. Biggie hit the ring with the Money in the Bank briefcase. He got a huge ovation. And an extended "You Deserve It" chant. Apollo Cruz interrupted and laughed at Biggie for celebrating a contract, considering he beat him for the Intercontinental Title at WrestleMania. This good, a good line. This let out it was, and it was accurate. This let out the Dirty Dogs, who were then interrupted by Rick Boogs and Shinsuke Nakamura, and then Cesaro. The faces combined to clear the ring, and it was a typical pre-Thunderdome match setup for WWE. But it was a good way to get the crowd going and the faces to get over. They really liked it. The crowd. Um, the Cleveland crowd now, let me clarify, they got to see what we expected to be a six-man tag team match. It was the obvious booking. They got to see it while we were watching WWE from Rolling Loud, which we'll talk about that momentarily. I'd certainly rather have seen that six-man match. My expectation is because it's unresolved on TV that we're going to get it this upcoming week on SmackDown. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. So while nothing really happened, it was good for Cleveland that WWE didn't repeat the Raw 25 mistake of forcing fans to watch stuff happening elsewhere on TV. I also presume, based on the way this shook out, that we're going to get Cruz against Cesaro for the Intercontinental title as his next feud. So wrapping all of that up together, I will give it a good. I didn't uh, I didn't realize that's how that works. So that's uh, a smart decision. Um, but based on what I saw on TV out of this, was unless I missed something, why did everybody come out to set up the match for the Cleveland? Crowd. Right. But like, why? Like, why were the dirty? What brought the dirty dogs out? I, I I know it's to set up a match, but they didn't have a scheduled match, did they? No, there was no rhyme or reason. It was very, that's what I'm right. saying. It, it, it was pre Thunderdome. It's, like, it's not like a, it, yeah. right. Normally it's like someone makes a challenge and a bunch of people come out to accept the challenge. We make a match out of it. This was just people showing up for zero reason. And so that was weird to me. So in that context, I'm giving this a bad because it didn't okay. really do anything or mean anything. I understand I understand setting up the match, but they didn't have any reason in K-Fab to set it up. I thought this whole thing was just weird. I like Biggie's, you know, Biggie's bit, but segment as a whole, I'm going to I'm going to give this one a bad. Well, I think even just giving Biggie that opportunity to get the cheers from the crowd for me made the whole, it didn't even really matter what happened elsewhere. That's fair. I mean, I get that. But no, but it's fine. We're allowed to disagree. That's what the segment is all about. So let's talk about WWE at Rolling Loud. So we had Angela Dawkins against Chad Gable. Wale introduced the Prophets. Uh, the setup was eye-catching, I thought. And a ton of people were there. They just were not at all engaged. 
the, that's the risk yeah. you take going to a festival. I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever been to a music festival, but a lot of shit happens that is not the music. And even when the music is happening, a lot of people don't like the acts that are on the stage. So you don't really get like a raucous crowd as, as if like Queen was performing or um, the Rolling Stones or like just a huge band that everyone is there for a single concert. Generally, this is the reaction you get when you're at a show and there's not a major act on the stage. The ropes were also really bouncy in the ring that I thought was weird. Anyway, Dawkins beat Gable with the anointment and there were piped in cheers at the end of that. We immediately went to the SmackDown Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Carmella. Belair did some impressive flips and a kip up and it made me wonder why the hell Montez Ford didn't wrestle in the first match if you want to put your best foot forward. And there's no offense to Dawkins, but Ford, from an athleticism standpoint, is going to draw eyeballs and possible cheers and, and noises from the crowd where Dawkins just really isn't going to. WWE added weird light Bianca chants, which no one would ever chant it that way. Uh, Belair countered Mella into a great fallaway slam and then a handspring moonsault for a near fall. Mella then reversed a vertical suplex into an X-Factor for a 2.8 count. And then Belair finally caught Mella with the KOD to retain the title. It wasn't a long match, but actually it was pretty solid. So I give them a, a little bit of credit for that. So rolling loud, Chris, in totality, it was a great idea in theory. And I think it was a strong effort in the execution, the way it looked. But despite there being a large crowd, it was a really strange setup all the way in the back of the stage, far removed from the fans. And it was basically a forced integration that would have really been better for a Raw that's three hours long than a SmackDown where you really want to watch it and see everything together. It was a lot less cool than I thought it was going to be because I expected the fans to be all around the ring or pretty close to it. So I'm extremely happy that I didn't go. <laughs> um, I will give them a good on the effort and the execution and the way it looked. But ultimately, it was a bad that's a little bit of a hedge. I cannot imagine WWE doing it again, even though in what they wanted to do, I think they achieved it. Yeah. It I don't really know what to grade it because it's not really about the result. You know, it was it was something different. I thought this was when I when I first heard they were doing this, I thought it was a great idea. I am all about, you know, we, we get raw and SmackDown every week with the exact same lighting and exact same camera angles and everything looks the exact same. And so just the idea that there were matches somewhere else where it looked different, that was that was that was enough for me to be interested. And you know, doing it at Rolling Loud Music Festival was, was a great idea. Get a, get your product in front of different eyeballs. And the people you put out there are very cool people who you think might work for that crowd. Angelo wrestling instead of Montez Ford. I have to imagine Montez might be injured Maybe, or something. Yeah. We haven't seen him for a while. Otherwise, like you said, he. I don't know why otherwise you don't do Montez Ford because he's clearly you know a, a star in this company and could do a lot of things that would get the crowd over. Um, so, you know, in the, the, the match was even with Angelo Dawkins. So the match with Gable, I thought was pretty good it's fine. I mean, for a yeah. short little thing. It was entertaining. It was it was really interesting because those are all really talented people. And then the Bianca Carmella, I felt like it went a bit long, especially as the second match, doing them both back to back. Um, and it was it was fine. It was whatever. But frankly, I give this a good because it was just I, I was glued to my TV the whole time because it was different camera angles. It was. A, a different looking crowd, a different setup. It was it was really interesting. I, it seemed like they definitely piped in 
crowd audio into the TV feed to make it seem like they reacted, I, I'm guessing, which is fine. Um, so, yeah, it, it was good. It was interesting and different. I, I want them to do try more stuff like this. I want to get a, a WCW Nitro from from Panama City Beach in the pool, you know, stuff like yes. that. Like NXT, yes. NXT, when they used to do the takeovers in in places that weren't full-on arenas, like in Dallas or, or other things like that, or when WWE did the Tokyo show, like it's just, it's way, it's, it's really interesting when you see them in a different environment because we always get them in that exact same sterile WWE environment that uh, I'm all for trying new things. So that's why I'm giving it a good. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go good too. It just, it was refreshing despite not being executed the way we exactly wanted it to be. Sorry, sure. it got executed well. Let me change that. It just didn't receive the reception that we thought it might. But sure. again, that's the risk you take when you go to an event like that. The idea of doing an edition of SmackDown in an amphitheater somewhere is a great idea. Like they do need to do things like that more often just to make things feel fresh. And by the way, it worked for AEW. It, it really does. When they go to different venues, even Daly's Place, I know it got tired, but when they're there occasionally, like when they do a lot of arenas and then they show up and they do it outdoors, it's pretty eye-catching and cool to see something different like that. So I just do hope that WWE kind of realizes, hey, Rolling Loud, okay, it didn't work out the way that we wanted, maybe. Maybe we'll never do that again. But it doesn't mean they shouldn't try other things in the future. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Uh, okay, here we go. Keith Lee versus Karrion Cross. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. So, yeah. You tweeted something about before the match, too. I just knew it was going to be... I, I, I knew, knew it was going to be a disaster. There was no saving this. So... They announced this match and the dread washed over me. <laughs> it was a lose-lose, legitimate no-win situation. Neither guy should have taken a loss in this match. Not Cross after inexplicably losing to Jeff Hardy last week while still being NXT champion, an undefeated NXT champion at that. And certainly not Lee, who returned and fans had been waiting for him to get back, and he lost to Bobby Lashley. And there's no harm in losing to the WWE champion as we said last week, but it was still a loss. Now, Hardy catching COVID-19, in case you guys don't know, he tested positive. I'm sure it led to a change of plans for Cross. But this is your change? You can't think of anyone else on Raw for Cross to beat. Maybe Shelton Benjamin, who can step into that veteran role that Jeff Hardy was basically playing in the feud with Cross. Anyway, Lee got a good ovation. WWE, of course, did not even mention that Cross was the one to beat Lee for the NXT title, despite it being their own company. Cross hit a Saito suplex on Lee outside. Lee then powered out of the Cross jacket submission and pounced him. Cross then countered a spirit bomb into a Saito suplex, which was really cool, and hit the forearm to the back of Lee's head before choking him out in the Cross jacket, with Lee actually tapping and not passing out. This match was barely 10 minutes, and we only saw five of it due to commercial. Lee losing two matches in a row upon his return is as nonsensical as Cross losing to Hardy last week, again, as the previously undefeated NXT champion. This match did not need to happen. This booking did not need to happen. There were so many other options. Instead, it's another example of Raw being horrific, and their booking of new stars being atrocious. You are trying to get two separate dudes over. Lee is 0-2 and looks like a loser, 
despite the caliber of opponent. Cross got no major heat off this win. Why not have him cheat at least so he gets some crowd reaction, a low blow, a chair shot, taking out the referee? There's a million things they could have done to get heat on Cross and give Lee an excuse for the loss. Instead, they beat Keith Lee clean. It was so painful to see this unfold. This was straight up bad. I don't give a damn what you pickle. That's the problem, Vince. Yeah, this was a problem. This this whole thing was a Travis Sham mockery, and it's again putting yourself in a position you absolutely don't need to be in. And if Cross had cheated to win, we'd be sitting here saying. You know, Cross doesn't look any better now because he had to cheat to win, which is true, which is why you don't put yourself in this position in the first place. I don't understand what any of the last two weeks was supposed to do. Cross loses to Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy's not even on this show. Like, he didn't get anything from it. You you knock Cross down a peg, but then he beats Keith Lee the next week. And we don't even, like, really get into how angry he is that he lost his first match and he's furious and he's going to take it out on Keith Lee. We didn't get any of that. He just beat Keith Lee. And then just, it, it so, and Keith Lee has lost twice. Cross doesn't look any better for this because we just saw him lose and now he wins and it's whatever. This was so bad. I, I cannot understand the thought process behind any of this. Like, I thought, hey, Cross, lo-, like Peter Rosenberg defended Cross losing and thought it would go somewhere, but like, you told no story here. There, there, like, there could have been a story to tell with Cross. He's, like I said, he's so mad that he lost. He's going to refocus. He's back. He's, he's on a vengeance. He's on the warpath. But you need commentary to do that. And, and they didn't. And no promos, no nothing. Again, no, no Scarlet really, really, really hurts his character in the image. Like, you could have Scarlet cheat or something like that. Like, Man, what like what are you trying to accomplish with this? It's it, it's the the absolute least amount of effort you could put into something like this. It was just absolutely ridiculous. So I, I would I would respond and keep going, but I just I'd go off for another ten. There's minutes. nothing else to say. It's, it, it's it was as bad as it could be. I really like Keith Lee. I don't mind Cross like others do. To see both of them, yeah, look like I, that. I think he's fine. It's just so so disappointing. All right, so let's stick with the disappointment on Raw. Drew McIntyre faced Veer. So Jinder Mahal introduced his attorney, who just so happens to also be Indian. Uh, McIntyre refused to apologize for his 34 chair shots on Shanky, so Mahal said they were going to sue him. McIntyre started a Drew is going to kill you chant. The crowd loves him, which is great to see after the last few months. That was like the only positive takeaway. Drew McIntyre is getting cheers. Yes, very much, very much. Can't deny that. Veer did well for himself in the match. I have to say, he did not look out of place. He looked like he could wrestle. That was a positive. Mahal threw Veer a chair. Veer brought it into the ring, lifted it, and McIntyre hit him with a claymore. (laughs) So the referee calls a disqualification and gave McIntyre the win. The finish made zero sense. McIntyre did not get hit with the chair. How was that a DQ on Veer? If anything, it was legal and McIntyre should have won clean with a pin. McIntyre then hit the lawyer with a claymore. It's great that the crowd loves Drew, but this booking was absolutely nonsensical. Why are you protecting Veer and not letting (laughs) McIntyre beat him clean? Why would that introduction of a chair be a disqualification 
in either direction. Veer did not use it on McIntyre. McIntyre did not use it on Veer. This was nonsensical. It was total bullshit. It was ugly, ugly, ugly. Zero point zero. And and this is what, two months after we saw Rhea Ripley DQ'd for throwing a piece of cardboard at Oh my god. Was it Charlie? It's the same like deal, yeah. Nobody knows what a DQ is anymore. Like like and, and, and again, this is nothing about the people involved in the match. I thought they actually did a really good job. Um, and, and all that. It's just the decision makers and putting that together. Like what? Like I understand involving the chair because of what happened last week, but holy crap! Like what? Like did did they botch the finish? Did the referee mess it up? I I have no clue what the heck happened. And hey, Drew's still over and it's fine. But like, man, that was that was that was ugly. I mean, we're giving it ugly here for sure and it's not the fault of basically anybody involved in it it's the decision of who planned it basically yeah they're all actually doing pretty decent work it's only the storyline that's the problem mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous all right so we had natalia and tamina against eva marie and Dewdrop in a championship contenders match this was the third of these on one show holy shit so eva said <laughs> to forget about last week and focus on getting them into tag team title contention Dewdrop hit her awesome flying crossbody but Eva was like distracting the referee simultaneously for no reason whatsoever. Eva tagged in and didn't get the fall, but then got distracted by Lily doing a mock evolution vignette. Then Eve ate a super kick by Tamina and got pinned in three minutes. This is the first Raw women's match in a long time that I can remember being pathetically short, not counting the beat the clock stuff. And usually those short matches are reserved for SmackDown. Given the distraction booking, and yes, I will admit, I legitimately laughed at the Lily video. I did. I did too. I did. I'll ignore the match length, but that doesn't make it good. This wasn't good. I'm going to go with bad, but it's actually close, you know, a little bit because the Lily video was funny. It is easy and legitimately funny to mock evolution using Lily, which is just such a ridiculous character. And I thought the verbiage of the entire thing was really funny. Just like the Sami Zayn Baron Corbin promo on SmackDown a couple months ago, the match that no one ever wanted to see. And they did that whole promo. It was very funny in the exact same type of vein. So did I hate the booking? And do I dislike everything that's happening here? Yes. But to be disingenuous and say that I didn't laugh at that, I'm not going to be like that. I did laugh, Uh, but it was bad overall. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm giving it a bet. I mean, I wish I almost wish I'd gotten more out of them because Dewdrop did some really cool stuff. She she looks like a really good worker. I, I think there's again, all the people involved in this, I think, did a good job. Um, but three minutes kind of distraction finish. I give it a bad, but it's not it's not too bad. Uh, one other thing is I hope uh, Natty is okay. It yeah. looked like she tweaked her knee. Couldn't exact. I wanted to try to figure out where. I don't know if when she stomped the ground or if it was part of Dewdrop's roll up. Um, but she clearly was having trouble walking. Got out of the match and limped up uh, the the ramp the rest of the way. So I hope uh, hope Natty's okay. Yeah, that was the really bad part. And maybe I, I'm not sure, but maybe that contributed to it being Could three be. minutes a little bit shorter. Maybe they were going to go five or six. But I can't even remember Natty being injured like in her career. So yeah, I hope yeah. she's okay. And if she's not, then now there's basically no women's tag teams except Shotzi and Knox, and maybe Eva Marie, I guess, and Dewdrop. That's it on both brands combined. You got to drop the titles. You just have to end it. Like 
The titles have yeah. to go away if Natty's injured here. Yeah. I don't even know Hope what you do. Or maybe you hold a tournament and you put all the women together in teams and you, and you start to de- develop some or something like that. But it's a freaking disaster. All right. Uh, we'll go back to SmackDown. Dominic Mysterio fought Jimmy Uso in a singles match. There was fun action back and forth here. Jimmy mocked Eddie Guerrero's shimmy and Dom hit the 619. Jay provided just enough distraction to counter the frog splash with a super kick. Uh, something big happened outside that the crowd reacted to, but the camera missed it. So I don't even know what it was. There was also a botch at the finish, but I do credit Dom for working through it like a veteran along with Jimmy. Like it was a botch, but it didn't look as bad as a botch could be for someone who's green in the ring. The Usos then did a very similar finish for Money in the Bank with Jay putting his feet on Jimmy's back for a fold up win. This was a good piece of booking. The right guy won. I just got to say, like, there's really no reason that Jimmy Uso can't beat Dominic Mysterio clean in a singles match. So while yeah. it was good, it could have been better. Yeah. And I, you know, you would, I think you had thought for a while Dominic had barely lost and then it turned out he had a 500 record or something like that. And I know it's weird. It's like the kid, the kid of Rey Mysterio who didn't really have experience is a full on decent wrestler, but he's pretty good. And like he, he gets, you know, like way more than I know I brought this up with, with Omos, but he really understands the psychology of all of it and just the flow of it. And if there's a botch, they know how to fix it. And, and 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 how to rework something. And he really gets a lot of that. And this was this was fun. And I, I like I know they did the same finish. It's such a creative way to do a cheating pin to 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 to, to slide your feet in there to keep someone down. I think it's really I know we've seen it twice now, but I thought it was pretty cool. And and um, yeah, this was this was good stuff. That's another thing. I don't need to see it again. We've got it twice in a row. Well, I, I'm sure we're going to get the other one <laughs> now. And yes, we they do things too much, but Considering all the other bad stuff going on, I'm not going to complain too much. It's like, it's like the styles. Sorry. It's like the AJ style Shinsuke Nakamura nut shots. Like a couple times. Okay. You're telling a story every time it's getting ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Um, All right. uh, Tony Storm made her debut against Zelina Vega. So after two weeks of video packages, WWE didn't really give her any type of preview before the match. I thought that would have been nice to like just remind people who this is before she has her first match. But Storm looked great here. And she had her new Storm 1 finisher. It seems as if Storm 0, which I think is a double underhook sit-down powerbomb, has been permanently replaced with this, which is like a flipping type of cutter. Um, So that's okay. Storm had adapted it into a neckbreaker, this move, in NXT. But it seems like she's going to be using the original version. It's a good change, probably because it's easier to execute on the main roster. This was a solid enough match. Zelina Vega didn't do much, but she held her own. It's what you want from a main roster debut match, unlike what we got with Karrion Cross and Jeff Hardy. So this was another yep. very easy call for me as good. And Pat McAfee also dropped the Puff Daddy reference during the match. So that gets a little extra gold star for me. Yeah, it, it, it was good. I it just, with, with a few things, I think a couple things would have made it a lot better, which was give us a, a full-on introduction to her. As someone like me who does not regularly watch NXT, I don't know much about her whole story. They just told me she's great, but I don't know who she is. And I think that really could have helped. You can you can still do that next week or something like that. But I didn't I haven't connected with her as a as a person yet. I've connected with her as an idea because of what they've told us her skill is. And one other thing I, I liked they 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 named the storm one when it happened. It's good that they identify yes. that's the finisher and they tell us what it's called. Thank God. But it was it, it it was it was good, but I just had this in my mind when I saw it. A way it could have been made a little bit better 
is so like Jim Ross does this from time to time in AEW, but he used to always do this. He'd refer back to conversations he had backstage with a wrestler and something they told him, and then he'd present that. And if someone had just said, Tony, I was talking to Tony, you know, earlier today, she said she calls this a storm one. She's really been working on it. And it's clearly a really effective move. I feel like that just would have taken it up another level as a way to make everything feel like it's the real world. It, it, they still did a really good job with it. It just came to mind. And I had actually thought I, I thought about this with the whole Malachi Black name thing when they just drop something and they don't tell you how they know it. I, I feel like it's just a little tweak from commentary that could go a long way. This is me nitpicking for sure. But overall, the Tony Storm debut was really good. I just think a couple of little things could have made it a, a, a lot. The better. one reason I'll disagree with you on that is because she was making her debut. So they're making her debut. They're saying this is her finisher. She calls it the Storm One. If she had been someone who had already been wrestling there for a year, let's say, and using the Storm Zero as her finisher, and she was going to debut a new finisher, this one in this match, and then you had Pat McAfee say, "Hey, you know, I was talking to Tony Storm. If she gets a chance in this match, she's going to debut a, a new." signature move. She's called it the storm one. I'm really excited to see well, it. I wouldn't do it like that. It. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you it's coming before it's coming, but the idea of her already, the idea of her already being established in doing that, I, I can, I can, that's what I'm that. saying. The difference is when yeah. you're debuting someone, you're saying, Hey, look, this is her finisher. Know it and love it. Right. Yeah. The, the thing, the nitpick I would make on this, it's similar to what you said after the match, I would have had her grab a mic and just grab the mic, look into the camera, storms coming, throw the mic down, walk out. Like, yeah. An emphasis, an exclamation point to the end of yeah. the entire thing. So, yeah. so you can say, I'm here and I'm going to be a contender for this championship. And maybe three months down the line, she's a challenger for the title, right? Yeah. But but again, this was a good introduction. This is how you kind of start building someone, yeah. unlike yeah. what they did with Karrion Cross and the way they've yep. re, you know, re-debuted Keith Lee. Yep. This is doing it properly. And therefore, it's, it's a really good. I, I liked it. Um, two more things before we get out of here. M- Mustafa Ali and Mansoor fought T-Bar and Mace. I just seriously cannot believe they haven't changed these guys' gimmick. They cut a decent promo backstage, T-Bar and Mace, I have to say. They have a decent look without the face paint. I'm just saying them as big guys wearing black is a decent look. And they appear to have potential as a tag team because they're both pretty decent wrestlers, but they're saddled with this dog shit gimmick. Credit to Jimmy Smith for noting that they and Mustafa Ali were all in retribution together. T-Bar kicked both their heads off. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Mansoor caught Mace with an inverted DDT. Ali then saved him outside with a Tope Suicida Tornado DDT. Mansoor repaid the favor by saving Ali on the ring apron. Then he jumped off the top rope and caught Mace in a pinning combination for the win. Ali then saved him from being attacked, him being Mansoor, and Mansoor hugged him. Uh, and by the way, I, I forgot to say when... Uh, Ali did the Tope Suicida Tornado DDT. Mansoor acted like a child. He's like, oh my God, that was awesome. Like he verbally said it and you could hear it on the camera. This was actually good, albeit, let's be honest, completely derivative of RK Bro with a happy-go-lucky face and a reluctant heel partner who's maybe going to turn. Other than the it being derivative, this was really good. I'm not gonna lie. I like spaced out during this bit and okay. did not really remember what happened. It's an it just felt like an example of Raw being too long as three hours, and we squeeze some things in that otherwise maybe wouldn't be there. I so you telling me all that I was news to me, and that sounds like not bad, <laughs> okay. but not 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 where I want to go back and and watch it. And that's not again, that's not a statement about any of the people involved. 
who I think are all really talented. And we know, you know, Dominic Dijakovic and Ali and all these people are really talented. It's just setting it up in a way that makes us care that Raw does such a poor job of doing. And yeah, I suppose. Well, it's a three hour show. So I was totally fine with this being on there. It's just you fix that gimmick and you go somewhere with Ali and Mansoor. And I'm probably pretty happy with it. Uh, Something else. I can't even believe I'm going to say this. The 24-7 title storyline was good. Yeah. Okay. We had Reginald against R-Truth in a scheduled title match. Good. They left the mic on for Truth during the match. And so you heard his commentary during the entire thing. He was amazed by Reggie's entrance with him (laughs) flipping his ass off on the way to the ring. Reggie wrestled in a suit. Truth hung him up in the ropes as Reginald kept kind of ditching him. I should say Truth himself got hung up in the ropes. And then Reggie hit a somersault sit-down slam onto Truth's chest for a pinning combination win. Then, as the 24-7 jobbers start running into the ring, Reggie jumps all the way out of the ring, ricochet style, but with like this weird flip corkscrew type of move and lands on his feet. Truth on the mic was a little bit rough, maybe. Reggie was kind of awesome. Believe it or not, yes, this is actually happening. The Silver King is giving a (laughs) 24-7 segment a good. And not only that, I think Reginald may have it. I've been all in on Reggie since we first saw him, since his his match against Sasha, I think was his first match, the, the, the intergender match he did. The guy just does cool things that nobody else can do. He's athletic, man. He's from Cirque du Soleil. He can do all these crazy flips. And, like, it's a variety show. You need different people who can do different things. It's okay that he doesn't know how to wrestle an entire match yet or doesn't even really cut many promos. The dude is really fun when he's on TV. And the match last, the, the bit last week, breaking up with Nia and Shayna and then winning the belt and then defending it here. Look, if you just have five minutes of Reginald doing cool flips on my screen. Like that's all, that's all you need from that. And that's all this was. And it was fun. And he's really fun to watch. That's all, that's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Develop. And it was really entertaining. Develop this guy. That's the yeah. key. Okay. There's something with him. He has personality. He has athleticism. He's green in the ring. That's okay. He probably shouldn't be on, on raw or WWE yet, but there's been plenty of people that have been brought up. Braun Strowman as a great example, brought up early who have developed into something by getting reps, doing the loops on the house shows and, you know, figuring everything out. I, I wasn't happy they switched Reginald off of Jax. I thought them as a pairing was good and they should have split Baszler from them as opposed to splitting Reggie. But if you're going to have this guy on his own, use this opportunity to make him into something. I think it's possible. I don't think he's going to be a star or a WWE champion, but could he be a mid-carder? I think he could be, Chris. Yeah. I think it's within the realm of possibility. Okay, so that is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that means it's also the end of our WWE show. We just broke down everything that happened for you on SmackDown and Raw, as we always do here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Now, here is what's coming up for the rest of the week on Getting Over. Really? It's just one show. We don't have a pay-per-view, so no special episodes. Uh, Nothing crazy seems to be happening, news-wise, at least not right now. Chris, really quick before we get out of here, I did mention earlier in the show, I'd give you a chance to talk about the rumors, the reports of Daniel Bryan and CM Punk going to yes. AEW. I don't know if you heard my take last week, but if you, I did. if you did want to kind of put your two cents in before we get out of here, this is the time to do it. 
yeah, just basically this is the type of thing that's a game changer for WWE. And honestly, I believe Punk would be a bigger draw reaction wise than Brian, just because we've seen Brian recently and Punk, his own comeback is its own thing. This is like AEW is not on the level of Ron Smackdown when it comes to ratings yet. I know the, the demo stuff can get pretty close. But if you add the two of those guys at the same time, that is the kind of thing I think that could get AEW potentially in the raw zone for ratings. And if that happens, then it's a full on yeah. then it's a full on war. I know they're not. Comp- I know it's it, it's hard to call it a war because they're not competing head to head anymore, but they're certainly competing for attention. And I know there are a lot of AEW fans who do not watch WWE. And if if something like Dana Bryan and CM Punk can draw more WWE fans over to them. Maybe they don't come back and check out Raw as much. And then it becomes a real, real serious thing. Now, WWE's not going out of business or anything. It's not going to be anything like that. But as WWE becomes more and more of a content business, as they stack their roster up with more media executives, AEW is doubling down on signing really cool wrestlers that people like. Yep. Thunder Rosa just officially signed with AEW now. She is awesome. Oh, don't even get into going, the women's division. That's still pathetic. But well, I, no, but, but Thunder Rosa specifically <laughs> yes. is very good and very cool. Yeah. And AEW's just being like, hey, we're going to sign these wrestlers that people like, and we're just going to do things on the show that we know wrestling fans like. And it's not it's not much bigger than that. And if you had Daniel, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk to that, that could be a real game changer. CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Chris Jericho, John Moxley, Malachi Black, that group right there is a way to get WWE fans to watch your product. I think if you add yep. those guys, you're regularly beating Raw in the demo. So Monday demo versus Wednesday demo. Mm-hmm. And I think not soon after that, not too long after that, you're probably beating Raw in the ratings or coming really, really close. Where Especially when Monday Night Football Especially starts. when Monday Night Football starts, when it's only a couple hundred thousand difference every single week. I mean, if AEW is already doing 1.1 and at its low, Raw is doing 1.5, granted, you know, WWE is not normally doing 1.5, but still you can close that gap significantly where you're going to win that demo consistently and you're going to be really, really close in total viewers week by week. So it seems to be happening. We'll discuss it further as it develops more and we'll make sure that Chris is on to discuss with me, but it is the big news here in the world of professional wrestling. And if you did not hear uh, my take on it, if you're normally, if you normally don't listen to the AEW and NXT show, go back to our Thursday episode. I opened the show talking about Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, so you can listen to that entire thing. But that's what I was talking about in terms of what's coming up next. I don't know that more news is happening, right? We're going to have to see how things play out. So next here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is our NXT and AEW show. Coming Thursday, I will be on location in Naples, Florida, the Silver King taking a short two-day personal vacation. So I'll be in an Airbnb taping the show. It may sound slightly different, but nevertheless, you will have a show Thursday morning. And then of course, we will be back on Tuesday, Vintage Chris Vanini, The Silver King, with your WWE edition. Before we get out of here, remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And do not forget, drop those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Let people know how much you love the show so we can bump up in those ratings and kick this thing into high 
gear. You want to talk about AEW competing with WWE? We want to compete with the big dogs in this podcast industry, and you guys can help us get there. So thank you all for listening. For Vintage Kismini, this is, once again, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, and I will leave you with three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.